Warning. 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 Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? It's the Police Officers Association of Michigan podcast radio show, recorded live from our studios in Redford, Michigan. Home is a full-service labor organization formed to provide every labor-related service from negotiations, grievance processing, legal and legislative representation to Act 312 arbitrations. Hi, this is Ed Jocks on the Michigan Police Information Network, and today we're joined at the POM headquarters by POM President Jim Tiganelli. Jim, thanks for joining us again. Glad to be here. Today's topic is going to be one that uh, I think and I hope uh, will warrant a lot of discussion in, in the future on how some communities can save some money and some alternatives they can look at as far as public safety goes, and that is public safety departments. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim, you're formerly a public safety officer from Fraser, and, and I know that you represent a good amount of uh, public safety departments in Michigan. And it should be noted that POIM represents probably 80 or 90% of the public safety departments in Michigan right now. Yeah, I can really only think of maybe one or two that aren't, but uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that's fair. Yeah. Um, Jim, tell me what, uh, you know, uh, tell me what public safety is and how different that is in case there's some, uh, you know, uh, general public or some civilians that are listening to this podcast want to know exactly what public safety is versus the police department or the fire department. Sure. A public safety officer is uh, a man or woman that is certified both police and fire. So uh, the traditional police officer having M. Cole's certification that grants him or her authority to act as a police officer. And then uh, you have Firefighter 1 and 2 school, which uh, basically allows you to perform the functions in Michigan as a firefighter, including engineering of a, of a fire truck, getting water out of the hoses. And what a public safety officer does is combine those services. So a member would be required to graduate from both academies, if you will, and uh, obtain certification in both. And then on, have continuing ongoing training to you know, maintain those skills. Uh, into the future. Now, um, some of the older, uh, though the longer uh, uh, running uh, public safety departments, and that, uh, maybe that's Farmington, Oak Park, and some of the others, why were they originally set up as public safety departments? Were they originally, or was there a conversion that took place at some point in those municipalities? The, the ones I'm most familiar with uh, started out as police departments with volunteer fire departments. Uh-huh. And what occurred was as these communities grew in population or became uh, uh, you know, more dense in their, and where people were living in industrial areas and things like that. Sort of uh, like, uh, like a suburban sprawl. I mean, some sure. of the outlying suburbs. Uh, and if you suburbs. think about some of the places that you mentioned, like a Fraser or a Farmington Hills, these places yeah. like that, or Farmington, uh, the, these were places where they relied on a very small fire department of professionals and uh, probably a significant number of volunteers. I mean, I would offer you Troy, as a matter of fact. I mean, this is a place I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with the city of Troy. They only have nine full-time firemen. Now, why would, uh, why would uh, you know, why would the city of Monroe need 30 firemen and the city of Troy need nine? Yeah, I got I got news for you, Jim. Those nine, you probably already know this, but those nine, I think they're all inspectors as well, too. Yeah, that they work nine else, to five. They're, they're, yeah. they're not what you would say, what we might say, the 24 or <clears> 7 you know, spend the night waiting for the emergency type guys. They are inspectors, and they have just literally hundreds of volunteers and a waiting list yeah. of people. 
Yeah, and and that's going to be sort of the you know the scope of our conversation today is how can public safety uh, help municipalities as far as their financial uh, well-being and and how that affects officers, the community response times, and some of those other things. I know some of the all of the gross points now. Mm-hmm. Um, our public safety, and some of them have converted fairly recently, I think the last 15 years or so, but they're all there right now. Yeah, again, relatively small fire departments yes. uh, to begin with. Uh, so if you think about it like that, if you have 20 police and, and say 10 or 12 fire and you turn it into a 32-person public safety department, you really enhance both ends of that, of that protection for its residents. Is there, when we talk about the gross points, I happen to know that Kalamazoo is public safety. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's up to three, 300 people in the public safety department. And if I'm correct, it's the largest public safety department in the country. So obviously, it's not a question of size. Size doesn't hamper your ability to convert to public safety, does it? Well, you know, in the 70s, when it, when it became... Uh, more popular for this to occur, and some of those departments you mentioned earlier uh, probably were doing that at about that time. There was a theory that uh, geography, uh, if you will, the square miles of the community had an influence because I, I think the study I remembered reading years ago was the city of San Francisco, and the thought was, you know, a guy could go start a fire in a 40-story in a apartment building, and while all the policemen were over there fighting the fires, everybody would be robbing everybody on the other side of town. Right. And that didn't occur, and, and no. still doesn't occur in public safety areas because of the way that they learn to staff and the way they learn to assign. But uh, what I, th- I think uh, that, you, that you would see happen now is that you're just going to have more people on the road doing that. And uh, the... I think that's become even less of an issue now for the simple reason that we have fire alarms, smoke alarms, uh, fire suppression in building sprinkled systems. We have fire retardant materials. We have uh, fire codes, trucks. Codes, all kinds of codes in place. That uh, Yeah, we have fire trucks now that used to require five, six, seven guys to, to throw the water that a guy does with a joystick and a TV monitor, you know, and a control center and does it. I'm sorry to say, better than we did when I was actually holding the hose. I mean, they're better at it. Uh, So equipment, uh, notification, uh, materials, I think, have you just don't see those kind of fires anymore. It's not like they don't happen, but they just don't happen with with the volume that it used to be. So having said that, um, uh, when and if a community does convert to public safety, I would think that that would automatically mean more uh, road patrol. I mean, those people are ready to fire fighter, uh, fight fires at any time, but in the meantime, they're on the road making patrols and being proactive well, in the I, law enforcement field. Sure. They're, they're, generally speaking, the police officer, if you will, that you see driving through a town that's public safety has got all his fire gear in a trunk. He's got his bunker coat and pants, his boots, his, uh, his own helmet and his gloves and such, and he's able to respond to the fire probably more quickly, somewhat because he's on the road, somewhat because of the vehicle he's driving, than maybe even a true firefighter could from the station. So he's arriving at the scene. But I think the behind-the-scene portion of this is traditionally, and this probably goes back literally hundreds of years, the firefighter's duty was to anticipate an emergency, to be ready when the fire is discovered. Uh, So you're there 24 hours waiting for an emergency, a police officer or a public safety officer, I should say, that's out there for his his or her shift, uh, 
in, when the anticip when the emergency doesn't occur, is still providing protection. They are calling somebody to say, "Hey, Ed, you left your garage door open. Your snowblower is right there. Pull right. the door down." They're going to arrest a drunk that might end up head-on collision with someone else. They're going to uh, be patrolling by an elementary school and see a guy that looks suspicious to them. They're more proactive. They're not waiting for the emergency. They are uh, trying to prohibit or prevent the emergency. Well, you know, and and that that reminds me, when we do our Police Officer of the Year Awards, every year I think we have at least one or two, sometimes four, (laughs) of our Police Officers of the Year are the first on the scene in a burning building and they're dragging some poor woman or child out to safety and saving their lives. I think for the same reasons that squad car can get to that uh, respond to that emergency a lot bigger than uh, you know a, a big old fire truck. That's true. Uh, and I mean that is that is uh, goodness. It's very uh, uh, gratifying to see what these young men and women do at the scene of a fire. But I think sometimes it's because they're so engaged in life saving or property saving that they uh, they don't realize how dangerous that situation oh, is. Oh yeah. Now at least. If you're public safety, you've got some equipment in the trunk before police officers just react and they just go charging into that building without any equipment. And many of those that you described that get our awards are straight up police officers with a bulletproof vest on and a gun belt. Yeah. Running through a door to bring out some old person or young person. And I mean, they're heroes, but yep. uh, they endanger themselves a lot more than perhaps necessary. Right. Quick break here and uh, we'll let our advertisers uh, say a word. This is Gary Murawski, president of Flame Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. 60 years. That's how long our family's been serving years. 60 years of satisfied homeowners. 60 years of guarantees and honesty. 60 years of being your home comfort specialist for one very simple reason. Get the message? When you choose Flame, we guarantee in advance exactly what you're getting. No bait and switch, no pitches offering whatever you want. At Flame, we only sell Bryant because over our 60 years, Bryant has proven it is the best for durability, reliability, and problem-free operation. And at Flame, we back that up with the best technicians, clean, courteous, and nationally certified. Want to go continuous training? We expect quality from all of our staff, not problems. So let's make it simple. When you choose Flame, you get a quality 10-year parts and labor guarantee on new Bryant products and a family reputation of honest dealing and excellence in workmanship. Don't be misled by the companies. Flame is the number one Bryant dealer in the Midwest, and it's not by accident. At Flame, we treat you better than family. Visit us at flamefurnace.com. Flame and Bryant, whatever it takes. The National Patrol Rifle Conference and Competition is happening again this year in Metro Detroit, June 5th, June 7th, 2011. The NPRC is America's premier patrol training event that annually brings together hundreds of law enforcement officers from around the country to collaborate, share and compete, and learn how to better their agency's patrol rifle programs so they can bring improved service to the respective communities. This year's event takes place on June 5th through the 7th in Metro Detroit. More information can be found on POAM.net or CenterMassInc.com. Well, let's 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 get down to some brass tacks and talk about money. Sure. And, and Jim, you you uh, are a working president, and you're out there negotiating contracts every week, and so it it really is about you know trying to protect benefits, trying to work with the municipalities and find ways for them to save money and maybe pass some of those savings on to our members or help our members keep some benefit levels that they you know struggled to earn you know over decades. So let's talk about how converting to public safety um, can save money and you know and what some of the obstacles are and what some of the challenges are to doing it. We have 
for, let's just say for practical uh, uh, reasons, say we have 10 police officers and 10 firefighters. What happens in the conversion to public safety? Well, in the cases that I'm most familiar with, it's always been voluntary. If the police officer wants to go to the fire academy, he may. If the firefighter wants to go to the police academy, he or she may. The theory being that all future hires are going to be compelled to be public safety officers. So the actual consolidation, if you will, or transition, in some cases may take longer than others, depending on how many volunteers you have. But I, I, use, I use this, you use a 10 in 10 example, and that's a fair one. If we have 10 police and 10 fire, and we turn it into 15 public safety officers, we're gonna have five fewer personnel and we're gonna have more people driving around in police cars than we ever did. Right. And they're all gonna be able to respond to a fire. And those that are in the, in the station uh, are gonna bring the fire truck and bring the equipment and respond with the tools that we need. And their firemen are gonna be there because they've arrived in a police car. So, you know, that might be oversimplified, but the truth is, as I look at a city like Ann Arbor or a Saginaw, where we used to have 150 police officers and 90 firemen. Now we have 90 police officers and 90 firemen. What would we do if we had 145 public safety officers? Save, you know, 35 number of personnel, have more people at the scene of the fire and more people patrolling. Well, coincidentally, you, you, you uh, used Saginaw as an example and you couldn't have used a better example, you know, under those circumstances. You can't argue with those numbers. One of the top 10, uh, over 80,000 population, violent cities in America for 10 years, uh, and has 40 fewer police officers than they had 10 years ago. Do we automatically lose five jobs? Do, do we lose five firemen? Do we lose five cops that uh, you know don't convert to public safety? Or um, is there something set up to where uh, through attrition, um, you know, um, the, the municipality uh, will gain those savings later on? Explain to the yeah, audience I think, how that's uh, going to work. Again, those examples that I'm most familiar with, nobody gets laid off, nobody loses their job, and then nobody is compelled to accept the training of the other field. What happens is uh, you try to make it, uh, you try to make it appetizing. I mean, in the cases that I've been working on, uh, we try to get them some money, and yep. uh, uh, because and the other thing that I think it does is it gives them two reasons to not lay you off. I mean, if you if you expand your resume, if you make yourself more valuable, if you increase the number of skills that you can provide a community, you become much more valuable. Right. And I think what, you, what you'll find is that in, in those cases that if there is a slow uh, desire or limited desire to actually cross train, it's gonna take longer to get total consolidation. And in that interim, the savings is gonna be less. But as time goes on, uh, through attrition, I think you'll find that we don't have fewer police officers on the road because some of them are public safety officers that are working. And there may be, um, uh, maybe you can uh, um, elaborate on this a little bit, but in some cases where we have a, maybe a 20-year firefighter and doesn't want to go to the academy of the police academy for some reason, in most cases, isn't there um, a position for them in the fire department? We still need to have a couple of bodies there mm -hmm. anyway, right? So yeah, what's happened is, let's use that as an example that, say, with the 10 firemen, only five want to go to the yeah. police academy. The other five continue to be the guys assigned to the fire division. Right. Uh, as, as they 
uh, leave through attrition, through a natural attrition, a public safety officer is going to assume that role and then free up that that shift, that schedule, if you will, to what had been perhaps a police officer. Right. But they don't come, have to come into the fire department. And actually, where I worked at, we had three guys that never converted to public safety from the police side. And they worked the route. And that was it. Our... Um are mutual aid agreements necessary uh, if a community uh, converts over to public safety, or does it depend on the geography of where they're at and, and you know, some other demographics? Actually, I think uh, it enhances the ability to, uh, or lessens the need for mutual aid because you have more guys already working. Uh, let's use an example of you have five firemen in the building and you have five patrol officers on the road and the fire occurs, you may have seven or eight guys show up in a mutual aid pact that could take a while to get an extra three, four, or five guys. And they're already there. uh, Tell us just a little bit about how long the fire academy training is and and also the police side, uh, how long that training is. The police academies are running about 15 weeks, and the uh, the fire academies are a little less than that. Uh, I think they're around nine or ten weeks. And... uh, there's a lot of ways to accommodate those, uh, depending on the type of uh, cooperation that you get. As far as uh, like the one we're working with in Monroe now, they're actually going two nights a week, so it's going to take longer. But we're not losing any staffing in the interim, so yeah. the cons- you know consequences of it are that we uh, we continue to perform our duties while in- engaging in this training, and uh, so it's going to take from November to March to do what might have been November to January, but. Well, we never lost anybody. Right. Well, let's talk about that because that's kind of significant that Monroe has recently decided to convert to public safety. You've been involved through the entire process as mm-hmm. uh, you represent the police, patrol, and command officers yes. in the municipality, and you've been right there in the middle and as a pu- former public safety officer. And obviously, uh, um, the impact of converting is a, a subject to bargaining. So you've been involved right from the right to the very core of this issue. Tell us about what's going on in Monroe and what some of your obstacles were and, and how it's going. Well, what uh, the obstacles uh, really were the training part of it, which really uh, facilitation of it became much easier than I had ex- expected it to because they have an academy in town. Uh, and the fire chief actually from Monroe is one of the head instructors there. So we were able to work out a schedule for a class. Again, it's taken a little bit longer to get from A to Z but uh, we're doing it without depleting current staffing or current road patrol duties. And in that case, uh, the, uh, the, it really went relatively simple. We expect after all of this has occurred that the officers will be making about 10.5% more than they were as straight police officers. But you're adding two or three firemen to every shift. Right. And the firefighters were all offered the same opportunity, and I might add that none of them chose to go. We, we, to the police academy. We did ask the uh, police officers, strictly voluntary, if one wanted to go, one would go. And 25 out of 28 volunteered to go. Actually, so many volunteered to go that it's going to take us two classes cla- yeah. to get it done. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so, I mean, everything's a go. I mean, uh, yeah. everything with the city. It, was there a charter amendment there? Because I know in some other communities that have looked at it, they've been a little bit leery about sort of jumping into the water. Maybe that's not the right term because it's proven that it saves money. <laughs> yeah. But um, because of 
charter amendments that says, hey, you have to maintain a fire department. Have you run across that? It, it, or can it didn't you? occur there. Harper Woods, as I recall, ah, and I wasn't real close in the Harper Woods transition, uh, but that was one that did have that, and it uh, created some obstacles, but not, not things that were impossible to overcome. Yeah. Um, you know, with, you know, the revenue sharing cuts and everything that's going on, I mean, do you foresee more of this type of thing happening? And, I mean, is there... Is there anything that we as an organization should be doing to facilitate it or, you know? Well, I'm sure that uh, there are a lot of our, our members, our police officers out there listening to this right now saying, what the heck is he up to? I sure right. don't want to climb a ladder and, and wield a hose. And I understand that. And, and like I said, I th the theory is to not you know, compel this on anybody or impose the will on anybody. But I was at a uh, seminar out, or not a seminar, a conference out in uh, Massachusetts here recently where they were talking about the likelihood that funding was going to result in 25% fewer police officers everywhere. That's just the nature of reduced tax revenues, reduced sales taxes. Um, Increased uh, costs right. of benefits. And, just, and, and it, even though we seem to feel them, you know, right on the chin here in Michigan, uh, believe me, it's, it's occurring everywhere. If you, if you look around, you'll see it from California to the East Coast. And, uh, you know, as I talk to uh, numbers of chiefs, uh, journalists, and uh, professors and economists out there, I suggested to them that, you know, you've got 40 or 50 guys in some communities waiting for an emergency. Should we perhaps take half of those guys, cross-train them, put them on the road where they might prevent a couple of crimes, and still be able to respond? And I think that if you're going to have to operate with 25% fewer guys, they need to have more skills. They need to be more talented and be able to do more things. And uh, the, the, this multifaceted guy is, uh, I think that's, we need to think about it. And I think we should be working to try to convince people to have more skills. That's our members need to be less able to be replaced, less able to be laid off. We, you know, I mean, it's it's really all about job security it nowadays, is. yeah. And um, and this is just something that uh, people need to look at. And I want to encourage uh, administrators and uh, municipalities uh, to to look at this and f to feel free to uh, tap our resources and our people here that uh, you know have been involved in some of these conversions that represent the vast majority of public safety departments in the state. Um, you know, to ask us for information and any kind of input, and we'll be glad to give it to them. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the POAM podcast radio show. I want to remind you that each and every month you can find every single podcast online on Apple iTunes. Just search for POAM. They're also available for download or for live listen on our website. Visit us at POAM.net. Get on our newsletter and send us all of your comments and suggestions for future shows. Yes.